And what a privilege to have this good man here on this Thursday night of these special anniversary services. Let's give a very warm welcome to Pastor Jonathan Alviar from Conyers, Georgia. Now let's worship the Lord, shall we? Give God some praise here this evening. Hallelujah. Come on, worship Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, we praise you. We magnify you, Lord, tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, I praise you, Jesus. I praise you. God, thank God. Thank you, Brother Morgan. Praise the Lord, everybody. You may be seated for a little bit. It, uh, it is absolutely, I think, necessary. Not just necessary, but desired. That uh, I say a few things here tonight. I want to say, first of all, what a privilege it is to be here to thank Brother Morgan for the gracious invitation to come, for his uh, confidence and his security, and uh, in inviting me to come and be a part of this very special occasion, 60th year anniversary of this church. And uh, my history with this church goes way back, even way before my pastorate. Uh, after I became pastor, I was looking through church records, and if I recall correctly, the property upon which this building is standing was purchased on the very day that I was born, December 20th, 1956, which I kind of took to be a significant uh, little tidbit for me, trivia. And uh, then many years later, our family was living in Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, going to school. Uh, I, our, uh, so us kids could go to school. My dad was a missionary in Brazil, of course, and he was traveling back and forth. My mother stayed there with us. and I graduated from high school at 17 years old, and uh, uh, my dad happened to, to come up and was traveling around visiting churches and trying to raise support. And Brother C.R. Free was a pastor here. And my dad asked me to drive him over here. Brother Free had invited him to come and preach on a Sunday. And so I came with him. I had been feeling the tug of the ministry on my life for some time, but I did not desire it. In fact, I became, would become very resentful if anybody suggested it. I had grown up on the mission field. I I had no rose-colored glasses. I knew what was involved in ministry. And uh, I didn't want any part of it. I had other plans, other ideas from my life. And so I would actually get angry if anybody would suggest it. I was uh, pressing on toward other, in another direction. But I came with him. And that Sunday morning, sitting about where Brother Metlin is, tonight something broke inside of me it really did the next thing I knew my head was between my knees 
and I was bawling and crying and sobbing. And it was that morning that I said, God, whatever you want from me, that's what I'll do. Right here in this sanctuary. And so a year later, I was ordained into the ministry. I was 18 years old. That was 40 years ago. And uh, what a journey it has been. After working with Brother Spell for a while, I evangelized full-time for 11 years. And then in 1988, as you heard, uh, we came and assumed the pastorate of this church. And what, uh, what an honor that it was. I was 31 years old, quite young, and no doubt uh, uh, the f good folks of this church had to put up with me while I uh, acquired a lot of experience along the way. But they were kind and gracious to me and my family, and I appreciate it so much. I mentioned last night how that we raised our sons here. This was a good place to raise a family. We're thankful for it. And really, I had every intention of spending the rest of my life here, uh, as evidenced by the fact, a couple of things. First of all, we had a few years uh, prior, we had uh, purchased, which was for us, our dream home. And uh, then also uh, my father, we uh, brought him here after he passed away and buried him in Lake Charles. My wife's brother is buried there. And uh, I, had, I have graves for myself there, uh, bought there and others of my family. So I fully intended to stay here for the duration. I was not at that point looking for an exit in any way. You only get a few legitimate crossroads in life. You can cut and run anytime, but legitimate crossroads, they only come very seldom. And, and there was one whenever my father passed away. I was the emergency pastor of his church in Lamont, California. It was up to me to either uh, take the church or oversee a transition. And uh, it, it was a several-month process. I was spending a week here and a week out there and a week here and a week out there dealing with the grief and the loss of my own dad and also trying to help that church navigate through uh, that troubled uh, time for them. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tug of war of emotions in a lot of ways. But I knew one thing. Whenever I'd come back here and walk through that door onto this platform, something would grab me by the throat. And I could not feel a release from this assembly. And I eventually made the decision to, uh, to just stay put. And Brother Blotto became the pastor of the church in Lamont and did a great job until his, to us, untimely death five years later. But uh, the church in Lamont is doing well tonight and moving forward. God's blessing it. and We're thankful for that. But uh, when I was contacted about the situation that uh, was taking place where I'm at now, I knew nothing about it. I was not even aware that there was a situation. And, and so it was an emergency type uh, matter, and, and the church was already without a pastor for a while. And, 
and I had a very small window of opportunity to make a decision and uh, using whatever resources we have available I did my best to fast and pray and seek God about it realizing that this was another legitimate decision uh, or crossroads in my life but really not expecting at that point to relocate or do anything different but as we prayed and fasted and sought God again within that very small tiny window of opportunity uh, critical situation I was here one evening praying about it and uh, I just felt the, the internal dial turn. It just turned. And it just went like click. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was uh, relocating us. I texted my family, all of my family from right here in the sanctuary. I was alone here. I texted them and I said, get ready. We are moving to Georgia. And uh, that was quite a huge step for us. Not the least of which because in 23 years you develop relationships and, you know, the people, you become a part of their lives, they become a part of your lives. And so leaving a place and an area and location is one thing, but just extracting yourself from people that you've grown to love and appreciate and tried to pastor for years is quite another matter. And that was a a tremendous emotional roller coaster for us. I'm sure that the folks, at least some of them, did not understand. But uh, I just felt like it was right and it was the will of God. And, you know, sometimes there's about that much distance between the will of God and insanity. And I have wondered a few times in the last four years if I didn't just lose my mind rather than get in the will of God. But... Nonetheless, uh, it happened, and uh, uh, we are there, and much has transpired, but what thrills me the most is to see this church going on the way that it is, and that you have the kind of leadership that you have now. I, I said this last night, and I mean it with all my heart. I have never felt better about the future of the First Pentecostal Church at Sulphur than I do right now tonight. Never felt better. And uh, God has greatly blessed this assembly with uh, Brother Harlan Morgan and his family. And uh, the results are already showing Good things are happening here, and we are anticipating hearing many, many uh, wonderful reports of victory ahead. I have rejoiced with everyone uh, up until now, and every time that I hear that somebody was in the altar, or this happened, or that happened, of course, the construction of the, of the building next door, and by the way, I get that straight from him. Uh, he... We're on a group text deal, and we, we talk to each other quite a bit, almost too much, but uh, several of us involved. But anyway, uh, I've always rejoiced with them and, and salute Brother Morgan, the good job that they are doing here. And I know that God has a great future in store for this church. Praise the Lord. 
And so uh, it's good to see so many of my preacher friends here and some from the area that, of course, also we developed relationships with and some of them that uh, would fill in for me while I was gone preaching, Brother Townley, Brother Hammer, and, and others would come in, fill in. Now they, here they are, they're gray-headed already, pastoring themselves and doing a great job in their individual fields of labor. God is good, isn't he? I'm just glad to be in the work of God tonight. and I just want to be a blessing this evening. I feel tremendously honored and, and uh, privileged to be asked to come. It's the first time in 27 years that I have stood in this pulpit in a guest capacity. And it's an odd feeling. It really is. I hope you'll indulge me tonight. It's a very odd feeling. But it's a good feeling. And I want to be a blessing tonight. I really really do. I want to be a blessing. It's good to have my wife with me also. The rest of my family could not come, but I'm glad she's here with me. And uh, we appreciate Love the Saints of First Pentecostal Church and what you've meant to us over the years. And we will take that to our graves. Amen. Tonight, I, I, I know that time is limited. In fact, a week ago tonight, a week ago tonight, I was in Bedford, Virginia at the dedication services of Brother Wayne Lawhorn's new building, tremendous meeting. It was 11.30 there, and we were still in church. And uh, altar service was going on, and I got a text from Brother Morgan. I'm the one Brother Davis was talking about earlier tonight about wondering if, uh, if, if, if God answered text, but I got a text from Brother Morgan saying, you know, because it was 10.30 here, he, he was saying, I hope Brother Alviar is not still preaching at 10.30 at this time next week because we have gumbo prepared or planned or something like that. And my good friend, Brother Phillips, chimed in and said, well, maybe if we'll amen him, he'll do a short work. And and, and so I said, well, it's 1130 right now in Bedford, and we are still in church here because uh, having a great move of God, altar service went till almost midnight. We didn't leave the church that night. Till almost three in the morning. It's the truth. That was a week ago. So when I said that, their tone immediately changed. Well, oh, we really want a move of God. And I, I said, you know what? You need to make up your mind. Do you want gumbo or a move of God? Because sometimes you can't have it both ways. Not in the time frame anyway, but I am going to do my best to. They say that now, but they won't say that later. I know this bunch. Amen. All right. Thank you, Brother Dunlap, for that great message last night. Brother Davis, for those good words of uh, admonition earlier looking forward to tomorrow and brother Phillips remember that we eat after that too so you keep that in mind amen God bless you let's stand as we uh, 
read the Word of God. So y'all didn't know I was going to tell on you, did you? They, they blew, my, blew my phone up for a while. And there I was just trying to enjoy Jesus. And but if the truth be known, I was hungry too. I was, I was kind of praying the Lord would hurry up and finish too. But uh, anyway, I'm turning tonight to the book of Habakkuk. And if I've left something unsaid, forgive me. But gumbo awaits. And uh, this is something I have felt since I've been here, since we flew in here on Tuesday. So it's going to be a little bit raw and unpolished, but uh, it's what I feel. Habakkuk chapter 1, I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. The Bible says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. I want to just speak to you for a little bit, or a little while tonight, about an incredible work in your days. An incredible work work in your days. Can you lift at least one hand if you're holding your Bible and ask God to have his way one more time tonight. God, we thank you for what we feel here tonight. Your presence that has been here from prayer service until now. I ask God for your unction, your anointing that you would help me one more time to faithfully represent your will. let let your will be done in this house. Meet the needs of your people. Speak to every one of us. Help me, Lord, to articulate what the Spirit would have to say to us tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you again, Brother and Sister Morgan, for the hospitality, the nice accommodations, the gift bag the good food that we've eaten so far, and the fellowship means so very much. Amen. We are living, as you know, in times of tremendous change. The circumstances and extremely fast pace of our uh, lifestyles today, together with the great advances in technology, not all of them good, uh, and the spread of information and mass communication as well as the multiplication of, of media and entertainment, be it via literature or music, uh, television, other media sources, and of course very prominent today, the Internet, uh, have impacted our society in ways that no other generation could ever have 
imagined. I'm talking about just in the last 20 years. No other generation could have envisioned the kind of, of society that we are living in today. And it has therefore placed great pressure also upon our churches and uh, individuals and uh, along with that huge stress upon the ministry the ministry the dysfunctional has become the normal and personalities are unpredictable consistency is rare faithfulness is hard to find and loyalty is almost non-existent. Praise the Lord. These are challenges that every pastor here will tell you they are having to deal with every day. And it makes for high stress and high pressure situations. Not to mention all the other stuff that is involved in the work of God, the pressures that come to bear, the challenges, the opposition, so on. Or as Paul said, uh, with beside all of this, the care of the churches. Amen. And uh, we can start wondering, and we do, uh, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Do you know what? Nothing really is new under the sun. Uh, because while we are living in a society that has no parallel and no equal in all of history, Nonetheless, I look here at the setting of this text that I read and I find a prophet that is very frustrated and very confused and very dismayed. Uh, consider, for instance, what he says in verse number 2. He said, Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Does this uh, sound vaguely familiar? And in verse number 4, Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. It looks like the bad guys are winning. The wicked are ahead. They're gaining ground. Praise the Lord. In verse number 13, he goes on to say, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? In other words, why aren't you doing something. Where is the divine intervention? Where is God in this equation? Why doesn't He act? Why doesn't He move? Why doesn't He perform? Why, don't, why doesn't He help us? Amen. We ask these same questions. We may not admit it, but we do. We may at least ask them in prayer, God, why don't you do something? 
Why is this being allowed to continue? Why does this drag on? Why does nothing ever change? Why do things just continue on the way they always are and seem to get worse rather than better? Hallelujah. And in the midst of all of this dismay and in the midst of this perplexity, God speaks up and he says, I am going to work a work in your days which you will not believe though it be told you. Now I want you to, I want you to think about something with me first. He's not talking about revival here. He's not talking about good things. The next verse says, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Amen. In other words, God was readying a people that were going to be his instruments of judgment and punishment against all of the wicked and evildoers of that time. So what I want to submit to you is that while Habakkuk felt that God was not doing anything, that he was apparently sitting on his hands, God was raising up an empire. You don't raise up an empire overnight. It doesn't happen from one day to the next. You don't get a people like the Babylonian Empire just suddenly arising out of the dust. God was working on it and raising that nation to power to where he could move. So while his people were saying, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you helping us here? God was putting all the pieces in place. I'm here to tell you God is working when you don't think he's working. I am going to work a work in your days. And it's going to be so tremendous and it's going to be so powerful that you are going to be incredulous. You're not even going to believe it though it be told you. That's how big a deal I've got cooking. While you're sitting there and whining and complaining and acting like I'm not doing anything, I'm doing a whole lot. And then he goes on to tell him in the second chapter and the second verse, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. In other words, I've got something that's going to happen. You may not be seeing it yet. It may not be unfolding right now, but it is going to unfold. And it is going to happen. You just hide and watch and tarry for it because it is going to come to pass. And I wonder how many times God has had to put up 
with the belly aching of his people, whining and complaining. Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you uh, do- working in our behalf? It looks like nothing is taking place. I'm sure that's the way the children of Israel felt when they were in captivity for several hundred years. You know what? God wasn't napping all that time. He wasn't disinterested and detached and unconcerned about the situation that they were in. In other, in fact, God allowed them to be in that situation. Slavery actually forged a nation. By them being under the duress that they were in, it kept them isolated from being coming intermingled with the Egyptians and, and losing their identity as a people. And it allowed them also, amen, to become insulated from all of that and eventually unified as a people so that when God would get ready to march them out of Egypt, they would march out not a family of a few dozen folks, but several million strong, a great and powerful nation. God didn't wake up the morning that he spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. He had that plan for a long time. Moses was 80 years old and he was an instrument that God had prepared 80 years before he sought to it that that baby was spared in those bulrushes when it was found by Pharaoh's daughter and, and, and God engineered that that child would end up in Pharaoh's own house. A baby born under the sentence of death while other children amen, were being annihilated. God put that child right in Pharaoh's own house made him feed him made him clothe him made him educate him made him uh, help him acquire all of the skills and the abilities that he would someday have. The Bible said he was a man mighty in words and deeds. And he was knowledgeable and skilled in all the ways. While the people were saying why doesn't God do anything? God was raising up a tool and an instrument. Y'all hearing me tonight? Oh, it was no accident when they walked out of Egypt several million strong and their pockets were loaded down with all the gold and the silver and the precious stones of Egypt. God let Egypt become a wealthy and a mighty nation just in order, amen, to equip his people with the resources that they would need. And Egypt has never again risen to the pinnacle of power that it enjoyed at that time. Amen. God is a-working. God's doing something. Amen. He's got something cooking. Several hundred years of silence take place and it looks like God's deaf and he's not concerned and he's, he's not paying any attention and wars are happening and nations are conquering nations and empires are rising and falling and nothing is happening. God's on a long journey somewhere. But what they didn't know, amen, he was just setting the stage. 
He was just putting all the pieces uh, in place. It was necessary that the Greeks do their conquering. And it was necessary that the Romans come along and conquer the Greeks and open up roads and open up avenues. Because through those roads and avenues, Brother McMullen, the gospel was going to be marching within just a short time. It was all necessary. It was all important. But when the fullness of time was come, when folks thought God wasn't doing anything, when the fullness of time was come, amen, he sent an angel down to the chamber of a virgin girl and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Let her know she was going to be the instrument by which a baby would be born that would change everything. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Give him a hand clap, would you, everybody? A root out of a dry ground, the Bible said. Prophecies that were seven and eight hundred years old came to pass, came to fulfillment. God hadn't forgotten about them. He knew what he was doing. Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and, and his name shall be called Wonderful. And Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. I'm telling you, that's the way it happened too. Oh, everything came together just like God had planned it. While folks were saying, where is God and why doesn't he answer and why doesn't he work? God was working the whole time. How many times down through the pages of history has that happened? Amen. Where people felt like God was detached and unconcerned and uninvolved, but God was working all the while. Amen. We come down now to... 2015 and we're facing challenges and we're facing difficulties and we're scratching our heads and we're wondering why this and we're wondering why that and we're asking the same thing that, that Habakkuk asked in chapter 3 and verse 2 O Lord I have heard thy speech and was afraid O Lord revive thy work in the midst of the years in the midst of the years make known in wrath remember mercy Anybody want God to revive his works in the midst of the years? That was weak and that was tepid, but, uh, but some of us really do. Anybody tired of just hearing about revival? Anybody tired of just hearing about the verbal bean revivals and the Joe Duke revivals and these revivals and, and those and why isn't it happening today and how come this and how come that is anybody hungry for that does anybody want to see it the way that you've heard it well is there anybody it's not because we're not doing 
all that we can. It's not that we're not trying. It's not that we're not striving. It's not that we're not praying. It's not that we're not, we're doing all of the above. And sometimes it seems like nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Oh, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Well, you're looking at somebody that's just dumb enough to believe. That's just ignorant and stupid enough to believe. That we have not yet seen all that God can and will do. Amen. Amen. I want to see it. I've got sons that need to see it. I've got two grandsons already, Jonathan and Judah. Brother McMullen, I want them to see it. I don't want them to just hear about it. I want them to see it. I want them to experience it. I'm talking about revivals where it's not just one or two or three here or there. But why not five or ten? If it could happen on the day of Pentecost, it can happen today. I'm sorry. I just believe that. Well, the times have changed. The circumstances are different. Like they were so easy back then. It didn't happen because it was easy. Anybody read in there about persecution and opposition? And the church grew nonetheless. If God could pour out his spirit back then, why can't he pour it out here again today? Not only do I want my children and my grandchildren to see it, they need to see it. They need to know there's something far greater in here than what is out there. Something more powerful in here than what is out there. I'm not worried so much about all of this new intrigue with witchcraft and, 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 and spiritism and these, uh, these things of darkness. You say you're not. Well, I'm not in this sense. What it reveals to me is there is a hunger for something that is bigger than us. Something that is more powerful, more supernatural. In the neighboring town to where I'm pastoring right now in Covington is where they film the vampire diaries. And, and I go and I get a haircut in the, in the barber shop in the little square there. And sometimes it's all closed off because the film crews are there. And, and they're filming this. This is the new intrigue of today. Vampires and demonic stuff and spirit stuff. And I know these are signs of our times, but what it's saying is people are hungry for something. You know, if they can just come in and, and experience the real and the genuine, the real power of God. Not the counterfeit, but the real deal. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, there's never been a better time for the church than 2015. 
while our country is becoming more anti-God and while all this stuff is happening and people are going crazy and their minds are getting all messed up amen there's never been a better time to preach Acts 2.38 never been a time a better time to preach this this glorious truth that we hold dear today If I didn't believe that, I'd just give it up today. I'm telling you, I'd fold up this Bible, I'd resign as a preacher, and I'd give it up. I'm the why not guy these days. I'm reading my Bible, and I'm thinking, why not? Why not here? Why not now? Why not today? When I read in there where the Bible says that multitudes of those that were uh, sick and possessed with devils were brought to Jesus and he healed them all. I know we don't have anybody that's demon possessed anymore. That's, a, that's in the past. That doesn't happen no more. All the devils have died. They're all in or convalescent homes tonight. They're, they don't exist anymore. We don't have to deal with that anymore. Praise the Lord. I know better than that. When 20 miles from here, amen, they find cows all the time with all the blood drained out of it and all these uh, blood sacrifices and all this strange, spooky stuff that's going on right here, just a few miles from this place. Don't tell me that that isn't alive today. But you know what? We don't have to tremble and we don't have to shake. Because we've got it, brother. We've got it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he act? Why doesn't... I'm going to tell you what the real problem is. You can be seated if you want. Here's one of the big problems. If we're not careful, we'll let this skepticism and this doubt and this unbelief become a part of our psyche and, and our emotions and, and our nature and our personality as preachers. It's going to start coming through in our preaching. Skepticism and negativity and it ain't happening and it ain't gonna happen and nobody wants it and nobody loves it and, and, and it's just never gonna be that way again. And you know what negativity begets? More negativity. You know what unbelief begets? More unbelief. Well, am I right or not? Don't we believe that we get what we preach? If we preach prayer, we'll eventually get more prayer. Maybe not as much as we want, but we'll get more. If we want worship, we have to preach worship. If we want holiness, we want to preach. We have to preach holiness. If we want faith, we've got to preach faith. We've got to start telling folks, hey, it can happen. We serve a mighty big God. He can do things like we've never seen before. I would be mighty depressed to come in here tonight, Brother Morgan, and say, too bad, so sad. But the best history of this church is in its past. It ain't never going to be that good again. Sorry. Sorry. 
remodel, do anything you want. You'll never have it like it's been in the past. I'd like to believe that this church has never seen it like God can do it around here. Ten spies come back from Canaan with an evil report. It was not an evil report because it was an, inac an inaccurate report. It was a true report. It was an accurate account. We saw giants there. Big walled cities. It's bad. It's really bad. We've come all this way for nothing. Ten of the twelve spies brought back an evil report. I heard you say, Elder McMullen, it was the largest case of genocide this world has ever known. Because the, the word of ten men wiped out an entire generation. You know why it wiped out an entire generation? Because they were credible men. They were not just some losers and nincompoops standing around nothing to do. These were the most highly respected men from each tribe whose word carried weight, whose word was listened to. Their stature was respected and admired. And so when they brought back this report, they influenced people. Brethren, we have the power to influence people. And if we're all the time talking about how bad things are and how negative things are and how dark things are and ain't never going to be good again, that's what our folks are going to start believing. I'm not talking about psychology. I'm just talking the only way they're going to know any different is if we preach different. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to stand up and say, God's working. My God is up to something. We don't know what he's going to do or how he's going to do it, but he is up to something. It may be dark right now. It may be tough right now. We, our backs may be against the wall right now. But it's going to get better. Because God knows where we're at. And he knows what we're going through. And it's not his will that any should perish. God's going to help us. Somehow. Worship the Lord, would you? tonight I feel it in this house tonight I feel like faith is waking up here tonight I told you this was crude and it's unpolished but I'm just going to tell you amen God is not limited to the conventional he didn't have to wait for the next boat out to go 
after his disciples. He just took off walking on the water. He's not limited to the conventional. And it may look from where you are right now like it's a long ways and a long time to get to where you want to go or need to be. But I'm here to tell you, God can shorten that distance. He can shorten that distance. Anybody, hear me tonight, anybody who's heard me preach very much knows how much of a stickler I am for the preached word of God. I don't think there's anything that can compare to it. Dramas can't compare to it. Programs can't compare to it. Strobe lights, black lights, colored lights, fake fog, none of that can compare to it. Uh, you know, if you want to do that, help yourself. It may have its place, but it will never, ever take the place of preaching. Singspirations ain't going to do it either. I know where I'm at in the deep south, and man, that's almost blasphemy. But singspirations ain't going to do it either. And I know what I'm saying right now is repetition. I'm a broken record on some things. Amen. But, but you know what? Uh, I think we need to harp on that because there's a lot of good churches that are veering away from it. They're bowing to the pressure of our times. And they're watching the charismatics work and they think they have to duplicate that. We don't have to duplicate the charismatics. We have what they never dreamed of having. We've got the power. We've got the anointing. Forgive me if I sound unkind and caustic and whatever, but when, when Pentecostal churches some years ago brought in uh, the passion of the Christ and showed it to their congregations, because it's the crucifixion after all. And historians were saying it was the most accurate depiction of the crucifixion that they knew, and, and so we'll, we'll just do this. And, and we started hearing about all the folks walking out, just crying and boo-hoo and carrying on, and it made us... Uh, look a little stupid and a little foolish and old-fashioned. It looked like that was working better, was having more success. But here's what they never understood. There's a lot of things that can move the emotions. There's a lot of things that can move the emotions. There's only one thing that produces conviction. And while I may harp on that all the time, human nature is such that there's probably a segment of folks even right here tonight that would probably like that. Would probably like that if your pastors would just give in a little bit. Amen. A lot of things can move the emotions, but there's only one thing that can produce conviction. The Word of God is quick and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, joints in the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? There is no substitute for preaching. Preaching is it. Yes, 
But I'm going to seem to contradict myself a little bit right now when I tell you I have come to the realization that preaching alone is not enough. Preaching alone is not enough. Amen. The Bible said in the last verse of Mark chapter 16, after it said, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. The last verse said, And they went forth. And they preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. We need divine intervention down here. We need a manifestation of the power of God down here. We need God to get involved down here. We need God to work like he's never worked before. I know there's a risk and a danger in just looking after signs. The Bible speaks about that. And yet signs and wonders are a part of the promise for the New Testament church. These signs shall follow them that believe. On the day of Pentecost, it wasn't just, amen, these, uh, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel saying, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. But it goes on to say, I'm going to show signs and I'm going to show wonders because we've got to have it. 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 Getting a little bit, a little bit nervous right now, but, but it, it's still true. We've got to have it. This is how this gospel spread. This is how whole cities were turned upside down. Was by the powerful manifestation and demonstration of the power of God. This is why we're frustrating ourselves and we're beating our heads against the wall because it seems like nothing ever happens. But if God will work, if God will work, if God will work, He can shorten the distance. Amen. I've been preaching a lot here recently about the people upon whom the ends of the world are come. If God would help His people back then, why won't He help us now? They're not here, we are. Did he love them more than he loved us? Did he love the Egyptian, the Israelites more than he loves us? Uh, come on now, did he or didn't he? And the truth of the matter is there were a bunch of complainers and murmurers and whiners. The Bible says with many of them he was not well pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness, but they still ate of the miraculous manna and still drank of that rock that followed them. They still saw the mighty hand of God in operation. If God would do it for them, why won't he do it for us? Did he love the, old, the early New Testament church more than he loves us? No, they're all dead and gone, every last one of them. But we're here, we're here, we're here. We're facing this fight. We're dealing with the struggle and we need help. What's wrong with us saying, God, revive thy works. Revive thy works. Some of y'all have gotten off the bandwagon. Praise the Lord. But I just have to believe tonight. 
And I didn't come here with this message. I, I felt this since I've been here. I, I just feel like saying, repeating what God said to Habakkuk. I'm going to work a work in your days. A work in your days. Oh, nothing like that ever happens around here. Just on the mission field. Just off in the Far East. Just in South America. Just... Now, that kind of stuff doesn't happen here. I'm going to work a work in your days that you will not believe even if it's told you, but I'm going to do it anyway. Hey, man, I've got to hurry. I'm on a gumbo clock. Amen. Now, now you all knew, you all knew if I was going to preach here tonight, I was going to say something about this. So I might as well say it. Amen. I took, I took this church, where I'm at now, and it was a, it was a tough situation, a big challenge. I told the brethren that were involved at that time, I said, I don't even want to know the whole situation. Don't tell me all the circumstances is the only thing I'm concerned about is, is this the will of God or isn't it? If it is, we'll deal with whatever we have to deal with. If it's not, then I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Well, when that dial turned, amen, we went, we relocated, and, and uh, I don't personally know anybody. I'm sure there are, but I don't personally know anybody that left a pastorate of 20, nearly 23 years to take another pastorate. I don't know anybody. I'm sure there are some, but I don't know anybody. It was a big step for us. And, and, and we stepped into that. And with every passing day, with every passing day, the situation got bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier. And about six months later, I'm driving around and it's all, the, the, the weight of it is pressing down. And, uh, and it's one of those days when God spoke to me. I, I wish God spoke to me all the time the way he does to some people. He, he tells him what to order from the menu. Uh, but, but either he doesn't speak to me that often or I'm not listening that often. But, but he spoke to me that day and it was a verse that said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man found hid in the field. And he sold all that he had to buy that field. Because everything he had accumulated in his life prior to that, was not worth as much as that field. And not just the field, but the treasure hid in the field. And the Lord said to me, as clearly as I've known him to speak to me before, this is going to cost you everything. And I said, Lord, surely not everything. But you know what? He meant everything. Because, brother, it cost us everything. Everything we had, everything we'd ever ac accumulated, on down to being heavily in debt to keep this situation going, keep it afloat. And we're praying and we're seeking God and we're desperate and we don't know what to do. And everything's upside down. We couldn't sell anything and blah, blah, blah. Amen. And finally... Last year, I just thought, you know what? If push comes to shove, 
because I can't live under this pressure forever. If push comes to shove, I'm just going, because I didn't create the situation, so I don't feel that much responsibility in that sense. Uh, but if, if need be, we'll let the bank have it. We'll let the bank have it all. We'll let them have the church. We'll let them have the house that was in the church's name, and, and we'll just walk away from it, and we'll start over again. We'll dissolve the corporation. We'll start over again, and we'll just uh, uh, and go from there. Mentally, I crossed that bridge. But I didn't want to have to do that because it would have been a morale defeat for our folks that had worked so hard for so many years. And so I didn't want to see that happen. And yet every month was a crisis. I mean, when you get texts at the end of a month from the secretary saying, we're $8,000 short this month, you lose sleep. You lose sleep. I knew we couldn't fall behind one month. And where do you get that money? Where do you get it? And so, you know, I, how we even were still on our feet, I don't know. Because really, it was a miracle every month. But, but I, was, I couldn't live under that pressure anymore. And, and I thought, you know, I, I read that, uh, that the church foreclosures are at an all-time high. And I thought, well, maybe... You know, maybe that's us. And then I got a phone call one day. And it was the kind of phone call that after I hung up, I sat there staring into space, thinking to myself, what just happened here? Because I realized if this is true, this is a game changer. But that skepticism was there. It won't happen. It'll fall through. It's not going to really come to pass. won't come to fruition. But you know what? It just kept unfolding and kept unfolding. And nearly six weeks later, I got the confirmation that the funds had been allocated. And on Sunday, March the 8th, Nobody knew except my immediate family. The church secretary didn't know. The trustees didn't know. The church people didn't know. Nobody knew except me and my immediate family. My extended family didn't know. None of my preacher friends knew. I walked in that morning and I spoke to our praise leader and I said, I want you to sing this song, this song, and this song, and this song. And I'm going to take over this service at some point this morning. And... Uh, and so when I knew, when I felt like everybody was there that was going to be there, because we have folks come in late on Sunday morning. I know you don't, but, uh, you know, here's what blows my mind. They can be at work at 5 in the morning any other weekday. But 10 o'clock Sunday morning is just too much for them, just too much. Y'all don't have, you don't have that problem, do you? I didn't think so. Praise God. And when I felt like everybody was there that was going to be there, I walked to the, to the praise uh, leader and I took the microphone and I said, I want everybody off the platform, everybody off the platform. The church folks were up gathered around the front anyway worshiping, so they all go down and now their eyes are this big. And they're looking at me and I began to talk. And uh, we had a guest preacher there that day, uh, which we hadn't had hardly in four years. We couldn't. And uh, he'd been scheduled to come for some time, Brother David Abbott. Most, a lot of you know him. 
was there just for that Sunday. And I told him, I said, I'm fixing to announce something this morning. It's probably going to blow this service up, just so you know. And so I, I began to recount the Lord bringing us there and this and that and the situation, whatever, whatever, and how I had mentally crossed that bridge. And, and they're all looking at me. And they, some of them said later they thought that I was about to resign, that I just had enough. And I was about to resign. I said, you should have known better. I was too broke to get out of town. I mean, if I had resigned, I couldn't leave. I'd have had to go out and hitchhike. I couldn't. I didn't have any money to get out of town. And half of the others, they thought that, uh, that I was about to announce we were just going to let the bank have it. We were going to lose a beautiful building. And, and, uh, and I said, and then... A few weeks ago, I got this phone call and whatever, and I said, as of Friday, I received confirmation. The funds have been allocated, and in the next few days, I am going to go to the bank, and we are going to pay off this entire church mortgage of $826,000 at one time. There was a split second where their eyes got big and then they went into motion. Pandemonium, brother, broke out. They turned somersaults, those that could. Some of them rolled on the floor. They ran the aisles. They screamed. They shouted. They danced. For an hour and a half at least. Preacher didn't get to preach. They hooted and hollered and carried on. And finally I closed the service. And somebody went to Party City that afternoon. And brought back to church that night a bag full of horns and party whistles. And, and these little doodads. And they passed them out that night before church. So when worship service began. Wah, wee, all this stuff, all, and we partied some more. And we partied, and we partied, and we partied. I'm going to work a work in your days that you will not believe. It's still unbelievable. It was unbelievable to the banker when I walked in there with our secretary, my wife, and my son. And he had our folder, and he said, so what do you want to do? Because he knew the money had been wired to the church account and transferred. And he's trying to hold us off because, understand, amen, he was about to lose about $1.5 million just in interest. What do you want to do? I said, we want to clear out this mortgage. He said, that's what I thought you were going to say. He was trying to be happy, but he wasn't happy. But we were happy. And we took pictures. And we put it up on the screen. We had a screen. I took a close-up of the paid stamp. And my son put above there on the slide, Jesus paid it all. And we parted some more. And on the last Sunday in March... We had a fifth Sunday service, 
And by then the paperwork had all cleared. And so we had a church rededication and mortgage burning. And when we went downstairs and outside and burnt that baby, burnt our tormentor, and the flames and the smoke was going up, we partied some more. They brought horns. They brought noise making it. They brought cymbals. They beat on stuff. They screamed and they hollered. You understand? We went. Let me tell you how bad it was. That Sunday morning, when I made that announcement, the secretary had gone to check. She'd gone to the computer and checked our account. Because we had an evangelist that day to see if we could even give them an offering. And... Uh, uh, she didn't tell me this at first. She was depressed. She was crying. She was crying. But before the service was over, she got word to me. There was $11.38 in the church account that Sunday morning. $11.38. We went from that to virtually debt-free overnight. God can shorten the distance. It may not happen that way everywhere, but that's the way it happened for us. And, and you know, and, and, and I probably shouldn't even say this. Two months ago, Brother Enzi, nobody would trade places with me. Today they're lined up. They're lined up. But they're not going to. It's our party. It's our party. Brother... You know what? God may, it may not be the financial. It may be something else. But God can do it. He can do it. Can you give me just a few more minutes? Now, now I'm going to tell you something. I didn't start preaching faith on March the 8th. I've been preaching on faith all four years that I had been there. Audacious faith. Bodacious faith. Red Sea crossing faith. And, uh, and I'd feel like a giant in the pulpit and go home and feel like a midget. When the reality would set in. But I'd just keep on preaching faith. Keep on. But you know, one day I walked in there and I read from Habakkuk. I read from Habakkuk. And I, wrote, I, I read, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. And my subject that night was, what are we going to do if he doesn't? If he doesn't solve this problem, if he doesn't supply this need, if he doesn't bail us out, what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I said we're going to come to church and we're going to shout like we've always shouted. And we're going to worship like we've always worshipped. And we're going to pray like we've always prayed. Away with this gloomy, despondent, defeated mentality. We serve a big God and he can do anything.
Praise the Lord. I'm almost done. Be encouraged. Gumbo is on the way. Amen. But you know what? I sent out texts that day to a lot of my preacher friends about what had happened. And uh, in the next few days, I started hearing back from them. Brother Alvear, we got up and we announced it in our churches. And the people, it just, the service exploded. And faith was generated. And this brother was healed in our church. And this sister was healed in our church. And this financial miracle too. Because faith begets faith. Faith begets faith. And I'm still hearing reports back of what has happened across the country just because of folks talking about what the Lord did for us. Then I found out that on that same day, Brother Cowan, amen, that your wife, not maybe because of that, but your wife, isn't that right? Tell, tell us. Been injured in a car accident. Had to have surgery that was going to cost what? $45,000. She was miraculously healed that same day. He didn't need the $45,000 because the Lord healed her. Can you give me five more minutes? And then I was remembering, I hope you don't mind a personal reference here in this church, but I was remembering, what was it, eight or nine years ago, Sister Regan? How long? Nine years ago. Sister Regan had been visiting the church some. Raise your hand, Sister Regan. She'd been visiting the church some. She's real bashful, so she... Uh, she'd been visiting the church some, but then we didn't see her for a while. She was expecting a child. So, you know, I didn't know what happened. And, and then I got word that... She'd been ordered to bed rest because she'd had a rib break somehow. And, and they couldn't do anything because she was, they couldn't x-ray or do anything because of the pregnancy. And so the doctor ordered her to bed rest. And so then she had the baby. And after she had the baby, then they did x-rays and whatever. And she called me up one, uh, it was a Wednesday, I think, Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday. Uh, before service, she said, I'm coming to church tonight. I'd like to speak to you and your wife. And so I came early, and her and her mother came and, and met me in the office. And she said, the baby's born, the baby's fine, they did x-rays and whatever, and they have found that I am full of cancer. Cancer everywhere. Where all was it, Sister Reagan? All in her bones, her liver, her lungs, even some spots, I think, on the brain. All right. And, and, you know, it was one of those moments when I just sat there stunned. She wasn't even in the church. She didn't have the Holy Ghost. She's telling me that. And I was speechless. And all I could muster up was, well, I know God is able and so we're going to pray. That's all we know to do is we're going to pray. So she started coming. And she got more feeble by the day. Within just a short period of time, she could hardly walk into the building and hardly make her way down to the altar. Her steps were halting. She was 
she was thinning down to just skin and bone. It seemed like her color was that strange color and, and hardly had the strength to pray. And I thought, oh, my God, she's not even going to be able to pray through like this. And we're going to lose. Time is against us. We're going to lose this. We just prayed. We kept praying. A couple months, I think, went by. And I was in the prayer room over here in the fellowship hall praying one night before service. And there's a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around to Sister Reagan. She said, I just came back from MD Anderson. They've run tests, and the tumors are shrinking, and they don't even know why. There was no treatment yet at that point. That's what blew their minds that she wasn't being treated yet. And the tumor, I said, I know why. I know why. It wasn't much longer after that than standing right back there on a Sunday morning. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She kept getting better. Her color came back. She started gaining her weight back. And that spring we had a picnic and she was out there playing volleyball and chasing the ball around and I'm holding my breath every time she falls. And we were at Akron Youth Conference then in July when I got a text from her. She'd been to MD Anderson. She said, I am 100% cancer free. That happened here. There she is. Now you tell me why God couldn't do that here again tonight. Again, I'm about done. But we, we wonder what outreach method, what tool, what this. And I'm not against making any effort that we can make. Amen. But a lot of times it seems like with all that you do, nothing. But you know what? One healing, one miracle, one manifestation, and you can have a full-blown revival on your hands. And here's my faith. And here's my confidence about what has happened in Conyers. And I've been preaching it ever since that this happened. Brother Young from our church is here. Amen. God didn't do that for us so we could sit back and relax and woo, we don't have that. No, I believe he did that. He took the financial chains off so we can have revival. So we can have revival. So we can pray souls through. So we can have evangelists come. So we can have a move of God. Don't tell me he can't. He can. And speaking of Brother Young, just before I close, amen, Brother Young is here. Raise your hand, Brother Young. Amen. He got saved when he was uh, deployed in Desert Storm. A young man who was a, a apostolic was in the service, witness to him. Amen. And he got under conviction and repented, prayed through in the desert uh, of of southern Iraq and he knew he had to get baptized but there wasn't enough water to get baptized in it's a desert place and so uh, he said to his friend his friend said we're going to have to pray that God will send rain this is Iraq ladies and gentlemen this is Iraq it started raining that night it rained that night all the next day and that night, torrential rains till stuff was floating by on the ground. And they dug a hole big enough to baptize him. That's how much God is interested in saving people.
God wants us to have revival. God wants us to have a move of God. He can shorten the distance. I'm talking about an incredible work in your days, in our days, in our time. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, would you? Why not? Why not here? Why not tonight? When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, don't you believe that your brother will rise again? Oh, yes, someday. Off, way on. The conventional, way off out there somewhere.